What's up? This is Jonathan Smith, your host here at Shooting the Schmidt. We're getting into the Miami Dolphins after their loss last night to the Philadelphia Eagles. Lamar Jackson's incredible play against the Lions, and we're going to get into a little bit of college football as well. It's a loaded podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. The Miami Dolphins lost last night on Sunday Night Football. They dropped to 5-2, and two, losing 31-17 to 17 to the Philadelphia Eagles. And let's be honest here. We know who the Philadelphia Eagles are. Okay, They're one of the, if not the best team in the NFC. Probably the best team in the NFC if I had to pick somebody to win that conference right now. I'd probably take them over the 49ers just simply because I know that Jalen Hurts is better than Brock Purdy. Right, and when it comes to those playoff games, usually the better quarterback wins. Not always, but usually that's what happens, right? And on top of that, Eagles are insanely talented, right? But with the Miami Dolphins, there's all of this high and low, and I don't really know what they are. And, you know, there's the 70 points against the Broncos, followed by them getting absolutely crushed by the Bills, and then they win big last week against the Panthers, and then they get beat pretty handily by the Eagles, right? And in these two games that they've lost, right, where they lose to the Bills 48-20 to and they lose to the Eagles 31-17, to both losses have the same thing in common, the inability to run the football. Okay, when people talk about the Dolphins this year, they want to talk about Tyreek Hill, they want to talk about the speed, they want to talk about the motion and all this, like all the flash that comes with these Miami Dolphins. And they want to talk about the fast-paced passing attack and Tua and him hitting and throwing it in all these different windows and all that fun stuff. But let's be honest here. Mike McDaniel wants to run the football. And in the games that they've lost, they've thrown the ball 20 more times than they've ran it. They threw the ball 32 times last night. They ran it 12 times. That's unacceptable. And the loss to Buffalo, similar thing. They threw the ball 38 times. They ran it 18 times. That can't happen. You got to be balanced, especially with Mike McDaniel, the former run game coordinator for Kyle Shanahan. This Dolphins offense and Mike McDaniel and Tua, they are all at their best. When this offense can run the football, they have multiple running backs who are extremely explosive. I know A-Chain didn't play last night. He's out for the next two weeks um, with with an injury. It was mainly Mozart, but you know we saw Wilson Jr. get some carries. We saw Savon Ahmed get some carries. But this is a really explosive backfield, and it sets everything else up. And last night, Hassan Reddick, oh my gosh, Hassan Reddick dominated the first half, didn't play as much in the second half, uh, didn't need him to. He just he took away that little stretch run play that the Miami Dolphins love to run. It is their favorite run play. They run it over and over and over again. Their goal is to hit the C-gap and then break it outside so that the speed of Mozart and A-Chain and these other dudes can be shown off. But when you have a defensive end like Hassan Reddick, who, as I said, dominated the game last night, they couldn't run the football. They couldn't run the football, and that is ultimately why they lost. And you know, people are going to point to the refs and all the missed calls and things like that. Don't do that. 
Okay, I understand that, you know, the Eagles weren't penalized once, zero penalties to Miami's, I believe, like 11, 12, somewhere in there. And sure, did that have an effect on the game? Yes, it did. But ultimately, they lost 31 to 17. They lost by two touchdowns. All those penalties weren't going to make up the two touchdown deficit. And look, I think the next big thing for this Miami Dolphins offense is they have to figure out a way to run the ball between the tackles, right? Because most of their rushing success this year has come from running the ball off tackle. And it didn't happen last night, and because of it, the offense was bad. Simple as that, the interior offensive line for the Dolphins has to be better. They have to get a better push off of the ball. I understand that they had three offensive linemen out because of injury, right? But... Guess what? Every team in the NFL, every team at every level of football, high school, college, pro, the Canadian Football League, wherever you want to go, every single team battles injuries. That's just the way that it goes. That's part of the game. And you have to figure out a way to move the football despite those injuries. Okay, The Eagles, they had injuries last night. Uh, Throughout the season, everybody's going to suffer from this. That's just part of the NFL. And it's not an excuse Miami, Mike McDaniel, you have to figure out a way to move the football when your offensive line isn't playing at its best. And as the former run game coordinator of the San Francisco 49ers, I expect Mike McDaniel to figure out a way to do that. Okay, This is twice now. In the two games, we've seen them play good teams. And let's be honest, are we even sure that, sure that the Bills are that good? We just, know, we just know that they're really talented. In the two games we've seen them play against you know, decent NFL teams, they've gotten crushed. We got to see them do it against somebody that's actually legit, a team that can actually win a playoff game. Okay, because the Bills, they can win a playoff game. The Eagles, they're going to win multiple playoff games more than likely. Every other team that they've beaten has a losing record. Okay, the other, the best team that they've beaten is probably the Los Angeles Chargers, and they're 2-4, and four, and they're highly dysfunctional, and they only won by three. Okay, they play the Patriots next week. They should win that game. They're probably going to put up a whole bunch of points, and everybody's going to be right back on this train of like, ooh, Miami, flashy, fast, all that fun stuff, Tua, MVP. No, we have to see them do it against a legitimately good football team. Until they do that, we cannot give them the respect that we so desperately want to give them. Speaking of wanting to give people respect... The game that I was most excited for on Sunday wasn't the Dolphins and Eagles. It was the Ravens and the Lions. And I fully expected for that game to be both close and entertaining. And it was not close. Final score, 38-6. The Ravens destroyed the Lions. But it was entertaining. Oh, it was so entertaining. Lamar Jackson was nothing short of incredible. He goes 21 for 27 for 357 yards, 156 of them coming in the first quarter, not the first half, the first quarter. 21 for 27, 357 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, nine carries for 36 yards, and a touchdown. It was nothing short of a masterful performance. Okay, Lamar Jackson both delivered the ball well from the pocket and he extended plays with his legs to find open receivers. I don't know if you watched the game. If you didn't, go back. There's a clip where he works through all of his progressions. Everything's covered up, runs into an offensive lineman, spins away, runs outside the pocket, throws it back across his body to find Nelson Aguilar in the back of the end zone for a touchdown. It was incredible. 
Just an insane play. And look, the Ravens, they look like the best team in the NFL on Sunday. I don't know if they are. They probably aren't. Unless they continue to play like that because when you have a quarterback who can extend plays like that and can make DBs cover for five, six, seven, eight seconds, it's impossible to cover these guys, especially with the way that the Ravens have gone out and really made an investment in improving the receivers around Lamar Jackson as they did in the offseason, bringing in Odell Beckham, drafting Zay Flowers. Obviously, they already had Mark Andrews. Nelson Aguilar, that, he's a solid receiver as well. And then they've got Rashad Bateman, too, a guy, that, a guy that they drafted a couple years ago out of Minnesota. I mean, this team has some dudes in the defense. Oh, the defense. I mean, when you come into a football game and you're playing Dan Campbell and you're playing the Detroit Lions, a team that really prides itself on physical football, and you push them around the way that they did because the Ravens dominated the trenches on both sides of the ball, especially that defensive line. That defensive line was awesome. They were in Jared Goff's face, five sacks. Um, really, just really impressive all-around performance from the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, it was just, it was incredible. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to get into some college football, just some things that happened over the weekend. going to give you my top 12. Stick around. You don't want to miss it. I'll be right back with more Shooting the Schmidt. And we're back with more Shooting the Schmidt. College football happened on Saturday. A couple big games. But the biggest game, no one can deny it, Penn State taking on Ohio State, the first of three big-time major games in the Big Ten that are going to decide the conference and that are going to decide who from the conference plays in the college football playoff. Right? And I've got a takeaway from this game, right? Penn State and Ohio State, both really good teams that clearly lack elite quarterback play. And that is what's holding them back from being great, right? Drew Allar and Kyle McCord should both end up being really good college quarterbacks. But as of right now, as of today, they aren't even close to J.J. McCarthy, quarterback of Michigan. Penn State and Ohio State, both put on defensive clinics, okay? And as I said on Friday, Marvin Harrison Jr. would be the difference in the game, just how, just his greatness and his ability to get open and make life easier on Kyle McCord, and that is what ended up being true. Marvin Harrison Jr. had a big game, and Kyle McCord really leaned on him throughout it. And the defenses, as I said, both still played really well. And... When we look at these teams, how do we not draw the comparison that they look just like Alabama? Great defenses, but a lack of experience and production from the quarterback position is why they aren't on the same level as these other college football playoff teams. They aren't. Okay, They aren't as good as Washington. They aren't as good as Michigan. They aren't as good as Oklahoma. And a lot of that is because Michigan, Washington, and Oklahoma all have reliable quarterbacks. We can keep going. Oregon. Who's better than every team is better than Penn State and Alabama and Ohio State? It's because Bo Nix is more reliable than any of the quarterbacks on any of those teams. That is the simple fact of it. And when we talk about the parity in college football this year and how these different teams are rising to the top, it's because of the quarterback play. The quarterback play at Alabama isn't the same as it was, you know, the past five, six, seven years going back to Jalen Hurts and Tua. 
The quarterback play at Ohio State this year hasn't been the same as it was, going back to C.J. Stroud and Justin Fields and Dwayne Haskins, so on and so forth. Same thing at Penn State. Drew Aller, a guy who's projected to be better than Sean Clifford, hasn't been as good as Sean Clifford was last year. The quarterback play at these top-tier schools hasn't been as good, and that is why we're having the parity that we are having. Now, let's get to the top 12. Number 12, I have Penn State. You know, they had their loss to Ohio State, obviously, on Saturday. That was their first loss of the season. Uh, No real big signature wins, but the defense is good. They played them close through, you know, three quarters. But until they figure out the offense, this team isn't going to be good enough to be a top team. Number 11, I've got Ole Miss. Only signature win is over LSU, who isn't as good as we thought. They have the loss to Alabama, where they didn't look great. But I've said it on here multiple times. If they went out, which they can, they could very easily find themselves in the college football playoff. Okay, they still have to play Georgia. If they beat Georgia, they're going to shoot up the rankings. Okay, there's still a chance that Alabama loses. If that happens, Ole Miss then plays in the SEC title game. And if they win that, then they would then, of course, make the college football playoff. So Ole Miss, watch out. I'm telling you, it's a long shot, but they could still find their way in. Number 10, Oregon State. Only big winners over Utah, who's still playing without Cam Rising. Um, they do have a loss that came to Washington State, who's now 4-3. and three. What originally seemed like, oh, that's not a bad loss, has now turned into a not-so-great loss. Okay, Washington State, if you haven't watched them play, they got beat by Arizona 44-6. I think that that's all that you need to know. Number 9, Alabama. Since their loss to Texas, they figured out how to win games. They're very reliant on their ability to run the football and their defense, not asking Jalen Milrow to do too much. But if Jalen Milrow figures it out, watch out. Alabama, very talented, very good defense. Saw somebody tweet it out the other day. Wish I could give them credit. This is the defense that Bryce Young deserved. Because if Bryce Young was on this football team, oh my gosh. Alabama would easily, easily be the best team in the country, but they don't have Bryce Young. He's losing games for the Carolina Panthers as we speak. Number eight, Texas. Good win over Alabama. Okay, one of the best wins in the country. Lose a close one to OU. Hard to keep them outside of the top eight with all of that underneath their belt. Number seven, Ohio State. Undefeated, obviously, with a win over Penn State. You could argue I should have them higher, but as I was making these rankings, if Ohio State played any of the teams in front of them, I don't think they'd be favored, and I wouldn't pick them to win. So because of that, the goal is to rank the best teams, not the most deserving teams. I think that's an issue that we fall into every single year because if we wanted to do the whole most deserving thing, then we'd go back to the BCS and we just look at records, right? And we would just call it a day. But no, the whole point of the college football playoff, the whole point of having the human element of ranking the teams is so that we can sit here and we can watch teams, use the eye test and say, you know what? Oregon has a loss to Washington, but they're better than Ohio State, and that's why I have Oregon at six. No one can deny how pleat of a team Oregon is. Dare I say they're the most complete team in the country in terms of both sides of the ball. They're a fourth down conversion away from being undefeated with a road win against Washington. Okay, this is a team who could very easily win out and win the Pac-12. If that happens, wouldn't be surprised if Oregon and Washington both made the college football playoff. I mean, you could make a real argument that those are two of the four top teams in the country. 
Number five, Florida State. I moved them down, moved them out of my top four. Undefeated, they've got multiple good wins, but no great win. Right? They beat Clemson on the road in overtime, which, look, I know Clemson's not ranked. They're a solid team. But tough to win in Death Valley. They beat LSU by a lot, but as I said earlier, LSU not as good as we thought they were going to be. They beat Duke on Saturday. Um, you know, we're in a dogfight there for a bit. Ended up pulling away after uh, Riley Leonard got hurt. And then for some reason, I don't really trust this Florida State team. I've watched them play quite a bit. Maybe it's Jordan Travis. Maybe it's the close win over Clemson. Maybe it's the fact that they didn't really put Duke away like they should have. I don't know. They're extremely talented, right? They've got a lot of talent. Mike Norvell, he's doing a good job. They're undefeated. They're probably not going to lose again. Uh, I don't know if they play North Carolina or not, but that'll be a tough game for them. Speaking of North Carolina... Man, I had him in my top 12 last week just for them to turn around and lose to Virginia, who's not very good at football. I think that's Virginia's only second win of the season. And, you know, this is part of the beauty of college football, right? We get these unprecedented upsets. And when it comes to Florida State, it doesn't look like any of those unprecedented upsets are going to happen. Uh, they play Wake Forest next week. That should be a win. Then they play Pitt. That should be a win. And then they get Miami. That game could be tough. Uh, Northern Alabama and then Florida, as in the Florida Gators, they should win all those games. Um, so it looks like they're going to have a pretty secure spot in that ACC championship game. Which look, if they win out, it's going to be hard to keep them to keep them out of the playoff. I just don't think that they're better than Oklahoma, who I have at four, another undefeated team, who has a better win over Texas, whose win over Texas is better than Florida State's win over LSU, which that LSU win is still probably. Florida State's best win. Uh, because of that, I decided to put Oklahoma at four. Um, I also think that they're just better on both sides of the ball. Okay, I think Dylan Gabriel's a better quarterback than Jordan Travis. I think he makes better decisions. I think he's more accurate. I think that this defensive Oklahoma is better than Florida State's. Give me Oklahoma at number four. Number three, the Washington Huskies. They have the best win in the country, beating Oregon along with the best passing attack in the country. And unlike USC, another team that can really spread it out and throw it, they can get stops when they need to. Okay, That is ultimately what I think separates Washington from a lot of these other offensive powerhouses, the defense. While it's not great, it is good enough to get stops when it, when they need to. Right? We saw them do it against Oregon. That's a really good offensive team in Oregon. If they can get stops against them, then they can stop a lot of other, a lot of other teams in the country. Number two, I've got Michigan. The Wolverines, look, they're undefeated. I know they haven't beaten anybody, okay? And I know they've got the whole sign-stealing scandal thing going on right now. I'm not really going to worry about that until something concrete comes out. But look, I'm not moving off of Michigan until they lose. I'm not. J.J. McCarthy, really good. Jim Harbaugh, one of the best coaches in the country. I mean, they're talented on both sides of the ball. You know they're going to be physical. You know that they're going to be good in the trenches as Harbaugh has focused on that these past couple years. Not moving off of them until they lose. Same thing goes for Georgia. Not moving off Georgia. Have them at number one. Probably going to get a lot of pushback on that. That's fine. They're still the best team in the country. Okay? And you could argue that I should punish them because they play to the level of their competition. That's their only downside. Okay? I know Brock Bowers is hurt. He should be able to come back, though, before any of their tough games happen. Against Kentucky, and you're going to hear me harp on this for the rest of the year. Unless Georgia loses, then I'll never bring it up again. Against Kentucky, coming into that game, there were whispers that Kentucky could beat them. 
and then Georgia came out and beat them 51-13. to Okay, it is the only game that Georgia has really, truly looked motivated for. And when they play like that, when they play motivated and they play fast and they're physical and they're mentally ready to go, good luck. You're not going to beat this team. They're good. They're loaded. They're the best team in the country. I'm not moving off of them. Georgia sits at number one in my rankings. And guess what? Unless they lose on Saturday, they're going to be there next week too. That's going to do it here at Shooting with Schmidt. Got another podcast coming out tomorrow. Really excited for it. The NBA season starts tomorrow. East, relatively easy to predict, while the West, pretty tough. Hoping that that leads to some more competitive regular season games. Cannot wait for it. Tomorrow night, start of the NBA season. Cannot wait. Going to have another podcast for you tomorrow talking about all sorts of stuff. Probably talking a little bit of Monday Night Football. 49ers play the Vikings tonight. Shouldn't be a close contest. I think that it's pretty safe to say that the 49ers are much better than the Vikings. But hey, you never know. You never know. So that's going to do it here at Shooting the Schmidt. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to the podcast. I really appreciate it, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow.